Hi, and welcome to episode 170 of No Crying in Baseball, the at least there's sports in the bunker episode. My name's Patty. I'm here with my friend Potty Mouth. Hi, Potty Mouth. Hey, we have a few more days in the bunker, right? So this is Sunday night. Inauguration is Wednesday. We are hunkering down. You can see DC from your porch, right? Yeah, I can. But thankfully, the DC I can see from my porch is still at least five miles away from the White House and the Capitol building. So, so that's all good. But I got to say, I, I there's been so much cross training for me this week. I've watched most of each of three hockey games. Nice. And all of two football games wow. this past week. And one of those hockey games and one of those football games was today. So I'm sports. <laughs> so I, I've got to say, I haven't looked at the scores. What happened to the Browns? Bad things. Bad things oh, happened to the Browns. Worst things happened to um, Patrick Mahomes. So he went out with a concussion. And oh, I feel no. bad because, you know, I really do like Mahomes. I yeah. wanted the Browns to win. And now he's out with a concussion. The Browns still couldn't pull it off. So it was close. It was t- 22 to 17. It came down to the bitter end. So it was exciting at least. But hey, there's always next year. I never say that about sports. Right. And the Ravens went down too. So so go Packers. <laughs> All right. Yes. Go Packers is always like the fallback to anything. Really? really? It's, it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. How about you? What are you up to? I, I want to give a little bit of a shout out to our friend Daniel Shi, who we've had on the show a couple of times, the guy behind the CPBL, the Taiwanese League on Twitter. He has gone from the the safety, I guess, of Taiwan and all their wonderful way they're dealing with COVID. And he's in Texas right now. Oh, Lord. So I, you know, I just think that we should all send good thoughts his way. I know that he's going to be a responsible young man as he finishes his senior year. I just want to remind him to eat his vegetables and that whole grain bread is is a good thing that he should try. He's been showing us a lot of his sandwiches. I think he needs a little bit more fiber in his diet. Wow, you're such a mom. <laughs> yeah. I really appreciate the momness that you that you bring to things for sure. Uh, take care, Daniel. Oh boy, yeah. I'm sure you have lots of masks. That's all good. Right. On today's show, we're going to stick to sports by starting with the sports-related aftermath to the insurrection in your nation's capital. There is yet more love in the air. Thank you. Ballparks are being used as vaccine distribution sites, which I just love. The scorned Valley Cats are suing MLB and the Astros, and I am so behind this. We've got boyfriends for the Mariners and the Giants. We've got winter ball news. It's getting pretty exciting. And a little more cross-training with the NWHL because we just can't stop. Woohoo! Woo-hoo. Good lineup. Good lineup. I feel good about it. So, you know, you may have heard that um, democracy was challenged uh, violently and repeatedly uh, yet again, but this time with thousands of people storming your nation's capital. Um, So MLB is responding by issuing this statement. In light of the unprecedented events last week at the U.S. Capitol, MLB is suspending contributions from its political action committee pending a review of our political contribution policy going forward. Huh. Interestingly, they're suspending all donations, all contributions, not just ones that may be specifically aimed towards uh, lawmakers or organizations that were involved in the insurrection, but really all of them right now. As a, so some some like other corporations are doing that. Some are very specifically cutting off all Republicans or those individuals who were directly involved in the insurrection. So that's what they've got. So this 
is separate from what any owners or players would do. This is just the league's political action committee. That that's the only thing this this has to do with, right? This they're not speaking for individuals. Individuals can do things that whatever they want to do. This is the league's pack. Interestingly, the Giants owner, Charles Johnson, and his wife made big news because they have each pers- personally donated the maximum individuals are allowed to, to donate to uh, to Lauren Boebert of, of Colorado, our favorite QAnon uh, representative, really? who's basically a wingnut. Um, so he, shit. he, on behalf of himself and his wife, issued a statement condemning the violence. And this is the part that's hard to believe, claiming he didn't realize... Uh, the connection to QAnon for Lauren Bobert. Like, wow. Really? really? Also the, the Diamondbacks, one of the Diamondbacks owners, Ken Kendricks and his wife also donated to her, uh, to the, to that, um, to Lauren Bobert. There, 538 has a really interesting study where they looked at a lot of um, sports owners across different leagues and what they did. It turns out that MLB and the NFL are the only two major uh, sports leagues that have their own packs. So largely what they uncovered was what are owners doing? You know, what? how are they using their own money, which is separate from what the teams are doing? The NFL has stated they're reevaluating their policies, but they haven't come out with a, an official statement yet. And that's where we have it. But if you want to look up your favorite owner and see what they're up to, you can do that on 538. This just seems like news to me. I didn't realize that MLB had a pack. Is that the idea to be lobbying for baseball friendly stuff? Is well, that to define what... baseball friendly, MLB right. friendly? Like for instance, the Saving America's Pastime Act, which is the one that screws MLB, uh, minor league players out yeah. of making a living wage, is something that this pack lobbied for. So part of what they donate is for lobbying and some of it is just like, you know, just campaign donations. They've actually over the past couple of years donated about $669,000. That's a little, it was a little bit more weighted towards Republicans, but it was more evenly split than I would have guessed. Huh. I didn't look at breakdowns by year. So I don't know if, if there's a trend right now one way or the other, but yeah. So that I thought was interesting. I just got to wonder if they're trying to, if they're backing out now to try to not shed light on where the money's going. I'm a little concerned. <laughs> like we need more information. Well, I mean, those are public records. You, you, you yeah. mean, it's, it's, I mean, go to the 538 site if you're interested. Right. They, they tell you exactly. They've, they've combed the public records. I think it's the Center for Responsive Politics that tracks all this. So you can actually find out who's giving what to whom. Yeah. Well, me as opposed to like a major news source, it's going to bring it to my attention. But Dang. All right. Maybe I'll do some research that in my fair time. But, you know, I want to I want to look at happy things. I'm getting a, I'm getting a little dragged down from the current news. So I want to just give a little shout out to the love in the air uh, situation. Last week, we talked about Mookie Betts getting engaged, which is lovely. And that is a thing that happens a lot in the off season. Oh, the- yeah. Michael A. Taylor's uh, wedding was yesterday. We talked oh. about that last week. But yeah, he and Brianna got married yesterday. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, congratulations to Mikey A. More congratulations to Michael Conforto, who was my former Mets boyfriend who just got married. And then a very special shout out to Tim Melville, our, our one of our favorite Unilions pitchers who just got married in sunny Arizona. So cheers to everybody for celebrating the off season. Very nice. Very nice. Other good news. I mean, it's pandemic related, but if we're going to talk about the pandemic, at least we can find, you know, positive momentum to talk about. One of them is, if you remember, we talked a while back about ballparks 
being used as voting sites, as polling places. We've talked about them as being being used for um, coronavirus testing sites. Now there are several that are being used as vaccination distribution locations. And the, one of the reasons this is good is because they're huge and it's very mm -hmm. easy to spread people out. And when you're trying to vaccinate thousands of people, you want to be able to do it in a place where people can line up and not be on top of each other and have room to like not be going down long sidewalks or, you know, wrapping around buildings or whatever. So this is very exciting. So City Field, home of the Mets, just announced they're starting this on the 24th. And my favorite thing was um, uh, Mayor de Blasio said, you know, we welcome all New Yorkers, even Yankees fans. <laughs> That's great. But That's when they're great. up and running, they should be able to do five between five and 7,000 vaccinations a day, wow. which is fantastic. Oh Petco Park in San Diego is, has already been open seven days a week for the, the 1A group, which is, I think, largely the healthcare workers. So they've been doing like 12 hours a day, seven days a week, trying to get as many people vaccinated as possible. Dodger Stadium is, is ramping up. They, they're so big that they believe they can do 12,000 vaccinations a day when they're fully functional. Holy cow. That sounds impossible. Minute Maid Park has just gotten started. They've got, they've got, I got a couple thousand under their belt so far. And it, it's expected that Oakland Coliseum will join this group. And I imagine that as we get farther into the distribution process and, it, and the vaccines are more widely distributed, distributed as opposed to just a very you know, narrow, narrow groups, I think more ballparks are probably going to come online. I know a couple of football stadiums are part of this as well. That's really interesting. You know, I've, I've donated blood twice at Nats Park and uh -huh. it runs so well and it is really spread out. And, you know, just thinking about it, it, people are pretty spread out then. I don't think they'd have to tweak too much to turn that into a vaccination situation. So I would yeah. love to see that in our backyard. So I'm going to give some props to the Tri-City Valley Cats. This is the Tri-City area of, of New York. This is near Albany. This is the Tri-City Valley Cats play out of the Hudson Valley Community College. This is near where my in-laws live. So I have actually been to more than one Valley Cats games. I think two, maybe more. I lose track really fun, very nice facility because it's this, this community college out in the burbs and it's really well put together. It's very nicely done. So the Tri-City Valley Cats have been an affiliate of the Astros, a short season league of the Astros for 18 years. Wow. And last month they were cut out of the 120 uh -huh. that were going to be kept, right? Okay. So they were formerly part of the New York Penn League and they had like 4,000 fans per game. I mean, this is pretty good for um, for a short season minor, like, like a rookie level team, right? So now they're part of the Independent Frontier League, even though like they had like the third highest attendance out of 14 teams in the New York Penn League, right? So they're suing Major League Baseball and the Astros for more than $15 million for breach of fiduciary duty and tortuous interference. That sounds serious. What they said was, you know what? You have devalued the team. The team yeah. is not going to be worth as much anymore now that it's not affiliated with you, now that it's this independent league, and that's not okay. I have a feeling that other teams who are now relegated to independent leagues are going to watch this and Absolutely. see if there is a future for getting back at MLB and their teams. They're, you know, the, the team of which they used to be a franchise for this horrible, horrible situation. Yeah, because that's that'll be a precedent. I mean, if they win, that's going to set off a little bit of a snowball situation, I would think. I think so too. And I, I want to see what the merchandise will look like if we can like get the the theme of a scorned valley cat 
going. <laughs> like just just how how angry is that Valley Cat going to look? Pretty pissed, I'm thinking. Yep. Pissed off Valley Cats. Sounds mm-hmm. like a good mascot. We're going to move along to the boyfriend section of our show where we pick these guys that we pick every week. We each pick a guy per team because there's something really cool about them on and off the field. We've been working our way up. I think we've been through 10 teams already because we always do one AL and one NL each week. And this week we are on to the Mariners for the American League. And then we'll be talking about the Giants. And my theme for this week is number one. I'm I'm shooting for the top. Both (laughs) my guys wear number one, which is just a weird coincidence. I'm going to start off on the Mariners with Kyle Lewis, center fielder, 25 years old. He was rookie of the year. So that was a, a pretty easy pick. And I, I I noticed him first as that guy who beat out Luis Robert because Luis Robert was my was my pick last year for the White Sox. And I thought throughout the whole season that he was going to be a shoe in for rookie of the year. But I was not paying attention to Kyle Lewis. He got voted in unanimously for first place, 30 out of 30. And as a rookie, he led the Mariners in batting average, runs, and walks, plus has some incredibly sexy defense that I will talk about in just a minute. And he was just in the news just this week. His number was retired from Shiloh High School in Georgia. And his high school actually isn't known for producing baseball players. He was not drafted out of high school. He was an athlete playing both baseball and basketball during high school. And his dedication, the the cutest story that I saw from his high school days was his dedication was so high to training that he and his friends would sneak into the batting cages at night and leave the, like prop the door open so that they could get back in kind of thing to practice just because they were so driven. So the coach actually said that we tried to change the locks, but they got in again. Everything would be (laughs) moved around. So you knew somebody was in there. So I think, you know, the coach was kind of like trying to do what he was supposed to do to keep the kids out of there, but probably also pretty impressed at their dedication. He um, continued with baseball at Mercer University and did really well right off the bat, so to speak. He's ended up in the Cape Cod League in the summer, starting after freshman year, and then made it to the all-stars of the Cape Cod League after sophomore year. So he, at that point, he was noticed. He was the fir- a first round draft pick, 11 overall in 2016 out of Mercer. And at that point, he was the top college player in the United States. So he was a huge, uh, it was a big splash for the Mariners to get him. There was a lot of excitement, a lot of hope in this kid. He plays for a month in their single A, and there was this horrific collision at the plate. And he was injured horribly. He he tore his ACL. And there was this quote by one of his teammates, I can't remember who, that basically said he still can remember what it sounded like when oh, he was screaming. Oh, I know. No, it was no, it was like no, that bad. That. So that that was a serious injury. And this is, and I'm still on like my injury recuperation thing, and I'm not doing really well with the patients. And he had this injury that just kept pulling him down for the next couple of years. And 2017, he gives it all out and he crashed into the wall, re-injured his knee. 2018, I think he had a bone spur probably as a result of the damage and needed surgery and so was out for most of 18. So 2019 was his first 
you know, sort of normal year in the minors. And he came up to the majors in September. His first outing, his second at bat, he hit a home run off of Trevor Bauer. Nice. So as far as September 2019, not so shabby. And he homered in his first three games as as <laughs> you know, starting off, which was the second after Trevor Story. And I think you told that story when we talked about Trevor Story when you had picked him so long ago. He is actually the first to homer in six out of his first 10 games. And at, including in those was a 457-foot monster of a home run and it was the longest Mariners home run of that season so it wasn't just Bauer that he did well off of that's impressive he started 2020 with his first his first game with a uh, home run off of Verlander in his first at bat on opening day so he's really like slowly ramping up you know he's nervous you know he's a little cowed by these you know aces yeah, right, right, right. He's just getting his over feet that. wet as he's coming <laughs> up to the majors, you know, because he had those struggles. So he's just this example of tenacity and overcoming an injury. Like he was great when he was drafted. He had this setback, but he persevered. And because of that, he's also one of these giving back guys that we love with our baseball boyfriends. So the Mariners have this impressive situation. They have this Mariners hometown nine where they've made a commitment to these nine eighth graders basically to sponsor them through high school in their sports. And they're all um, from minority communities. And it it was sort of inspired because the Mariners actually have a high number of African-American players on their 40-man roster. It was supposed to be 11 last year. I'm not sure if it got up to that. And by but, high number, you mean relative to other teams. Right. I know. Right, that's yeah. the, so we're talking 25%. And, you know, if you look at basketball, yeah. it's not exactly the same proportion. But for baseball, the Mariners are looking like they're showing some consideration there. Um, but part of the deal is mentorship. So Kyle is mentoring this young kid, Tyson Martin. And the reason why they have this connection for overcoming, but this kid had four open heart surgeries in his life and he's still playing baseball. He had a congenital heart defect and, and 22 procedures, but he talks about looking up to Kyle Lewis as like, you know, somebody who's overcome injuries and this kid is still playing. He's playing first base, center field and pitches. So then I just did like a quick brush of social media and just saw him tweeting about really good things. He supported Children's Hospital with visits, a women's shelter with visits, with Toy for Tots. And I thought one thing was really interesting is a couple of weeks, you, you chose Joe Adele and he retweeted three times sort of praise of his, the same kind of work that you were talking about three weeks ago of him giving back to the community. So like he's reaching out there for connections. So I think overall, Kyle Lewis is a pretty solid pick. I'm, I'm happy with this kid. He's, and he's adorable. He's really just a sweet. Oh, thank God. Like, I was hoping to drink and you know, you weren't, yeah. you were <laughs> the word adorable. If you have to drink it, if you got it. I think we should, we should, um, link the interview with him. There's like a a half hour thing that he did about his background and this perseverance thing. So yeah, adorable. Fantastic. And I'm so impressed with this group of young players who, who don't just want to write a check and get credit for it. Right. They want to show up. And I, I, th- I think that's, that's so vital. And it's so impressive that they know that already at young ages, that this is the oh thing that really matters. Maybe they yeah. remember if it happened for them, you know, and yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I've got 
I got a kid, man, a little kid. Um, so for the Mariners, I picked um, Jared Kelnick, who's only 21. And wow. yeah. I know my kid turns 20 next month in a matter of <laughs> weeks. And here I am picking this 21 year old. And let me tell you, everything I read about him, he was so squeaky, clean, all American boy that I thought something was being hidden. <laughs> right. So yeah. he's from Waukesha, Wisconsin. So I turned to Turner Pear Chris, one of our uh, one of our pals in the world of baseball podcasting, who is lives in Wisconsin, and said, "Okay, he follows minor league guys, and he's local." I said, "What's the scoop? Am I missing something here?" And he said, "Nope." He verified the kid's got a great reputation around town. He comes from a good family. He is really hardworking go for it. I was like, wow. Okay. Because mm. everything looked really, I, I couldn't tell if it was, this is all there is. It's just like, he's a good, hardworking kid or he's already scrubbed social media, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm happy to hear that somebody who's been following him for a little while says, no, he's really that good a kid. Here's how old we are. Potty mouth. Uh oh. When asked about who, like, did he admire growing up? Bryce Harper. <laughs> And Mike oh Trout. And you know what? <laughs> oh my they're, God. they're still babies as far as I'm concerned, too. Uh, so, yeah, he did also mention your favorite Derek Jeter, but that's okay. But that one, that uh, one was like, you know, more that didn't scare me with the whole age thing. So let me tell you about his family a little bit. So his grandfather uh, was a um, amateur umpire. Well, not, I mean, he didn't, not, not for the bigs. He was he, he umpired. He was okay. a fast pitch softball player and he really taught. Jared, the love of baseball and competitiveness. What Jared says was he never let me win anything. And that was great because I, I learned to be, to, I was challenged and I had to work for it. And now I know I want it. I want it bad. I'm going to work really hard for it. And I, I, nothing was nothing as far as competition was handed to him. A lot of things were in fact handed him. This is a kid of privilege. He's definitely a kid of privilege. We'll see more about that in a minute. So he like really wants to be the best player on the field, which he got from his grandfather. The sad thing is, and yet a very moving thing, his grandfather passed away while watching his beloved twins on television. Oh, wow. And I thought, you know what? If you have to pick, you know, sitting in your armchair and then like just watching a baseball game, just peacefully go, that's that I'd be okay with that. I really would. <laughs> yeah, right. That's true. You know, given given the bunker mentality yeah. you have going on, I'm good with it. His sister played college softball. His dad played college baseball, and like motivated by Jared's sister, who you know that that the parents were driving all over the place, you know, to just for softball games. Like there was nothing local that could take care of like where they could host these softball games, especially at night. Like the only lighted field that anybody could use was like 30 miles away. So mm. um, he's a general contractor. So he um, invested and built two training facilities, like oh, wow. big ones, like big ones um, there. And they're so well appointed. They're used by professional athletes as well as the local kids. And one of them is like strength training and all that kind of stuff. And one of them is a big complex with ball fields, in, including lighted ones. And they said like 300,000 kids come through there over the course of a summer, for oh, instance, cool. probably not so much this year. And they even have an indoor diamond because Wisconsin <laughs> right? and winter. Wow. And so, so here's one of the things. I, there is definitely um, a, I think scouts and others sort of look down on players that come up through the Midwest because they can't play outside for months of the year. So they don't get this like, you know, year round game experience. So they're doing drills, they're doing training, they're doing stuff inside, but they don't have like the year round experience that guys from warmer places have. So this is one of those things that if you can get a facility like this, if your dad can build one, for instance, 
then, I mean, that's going to give you that advantage, right? So Jared never played high school ball. He wow. played travel ball and got on to the 18U Team USA and did that instead because he wanted more of a challenge. He said, yeah, I missed playing with my friends, you know, my school friends, but I, I want, want to be a professional ball player. And so I need to go where the challenge is. So he really wanted to push himself. And that, that 18U Team USA won two gold medals in international play, right? He also graduated high school a semester early. He, you know, did what he needed to do to get everything, all of his requirements done a semester early because he wanted to prepare for the draft. So that second semester where he would be doing whatever, like last classes he had and goofing off with his friends and doing like proposals and stuff, he <laughs> was doing two-a-day workouts at the training facilities, right? He worked out hours and hours every single day. He was invited by the Mariners for a pre-draft workout, like a showcase, you know, during this time, you know, as an 18 year old, when he, I don't think he actually graduated officially. I think he walked with his class, but he just didn't have classes that last semester. So instead, you know, he went to, you know, with, to the Mariners for, for like, a, for a workout. And he met the manager, um, Scott Surveys, who also from Wisconsin. So apparently they hit it off by talking about the Green Bay Packers. May I just throw in right now? Go Packers one more time. So he had what's apparently a legendary batting practice at this workout. The um, the general manager, um, Jerry Depoto, said the workout was as spectacular as a player could hope for. One of the scouts said it was the single most impressive batting practice by an amateur ever. He was hitting it out of the park over and over again, including the windows of the Hit It Here Cafe, which is, you know, outside the outfield, right? He was hitting opposite field homers, but he was doing it like slowly and methodically and with confidence, like this is what I do. So they wanted him. The Mariners wanted him badly, but so did the Mets. The Mets had been scouting him since he was 15. Hmm. And the Mets came above the Mariners in the draft round. So the Mets took him, number six, first round, top 10 guy, right? He was number six, which was the highest ever draft position for somebody coming out of Wisconsin. And apparently he cried tears of joy. His uh, family had a draft party. Like, you know, you always see like the, the video of these parties and stuff. And in his, he is in tears because he's so happy wow. and so relieved because look at how hard he worked. Wow. Right? Look at how he changed his schooling. He changed, like he chose not to play baseball with his buddies because he needed to do this because he wanted to make the majors and it paid off. Right. Well, it also paid off for the Mariners because six months later, there was that Robinson Cano trade that is oh, right. that is still, you know, famous or infamous, right, with the Mets. And part of what the Mariners got back was our pal Jared, right? So he started his very first um, minor league stint. He is his very first 11 games. He had an 11-game hitting streak uh, and has been, you know, lighting it up ever since. Now, he's one of the guys who, like, we, we've talked about a bunch of rookies who got their call-ups in this weird 2020 season because there was no AAA to work out at. There's, you know, the other option is don't call them up yet because whatever, they're not ready or you don't, you, you just, you want to, you want to slow them down a little bit. Mm -hmm. He's one of those guys. They, they, you know, he's so young, right? So they didn't, they didn't want to do that yet. And again, like age is relative. Juan Soto is the same, you know, just like 22 now, right? But he was ready. He was a different kind of guy, right? And so this guy was not is they start, they're saying he's close. And in fact, like the athletic had an article in August saying, call this kid up and here's why. 
So, you know, obviously mm-hmm. there was a big argument. There's always an argument about, you know, call the kid up, call the kid up. So they do expect him to be an early call up this coming season for left field because the Mariners definitely need a left fielder. And they refer to him as the second best outfielder in the Mariner system behind rookie of the year, <laughs> Kyle Lewis. Um, so this kid is kind of torn now. He's really excited to be in, in Seattle because like he said, like when he first walked into the ballpark, when he had hit that workout, the, the pre-draft workout, he said it was, it was beautiful. I wanted to be there. Like that was his choice. Mm-hmm. If he could have, you know, if, if that, if things yeah. had changed, he would have loved to have been there to begin with. So he loves, he wants, he loves Seattle. He wants to be there for a long time. So he's torn. He's got, you know, his hometown of Waukesha and he's got Seattle, which he wants to, to be his home for a while. So, his work with COVID-19 fundraising was for both of those places. He wanted to support local businesses. I mean, his dad's got several local businesses, right? But at all the places around in town. And so he worked with Custom Inc., the t-shirt company, and designed, we're in this together or something, shirts that had images. One had an image of Waukesha and one had an image of Seattle on it as a fundraiser, but also people could go and just donate money as well. So you didn't have to buy the shirt. So it's like a baby step in helping out, helping out your, your home and your new home. So I'm pretty excited about this. I hope that Turner, Turner Pear Chris and I are not wrong. And he really is that squeaky clean and a hard worker. And he's not just hiding stuff from me because wow, I'm so freaking suspicious. Oh, that, that's <laughs> impressive for a 21 year old to come up with a fundraiser that that's that thoughtful and that personal and giving back. So I don't know. It's, I think it's worth rolling the dice. We are moving over to the National League with the Giants. And I am super excited about Mauricio Dubon. And I knew I recognized his name because he was in the he was first drafted by the Red Sox, but I'll get there in a minute. He's 26 years old. He is a nat- natural shortstop. So that's the position that he he came up playing. But he's and he's actually listed on his MLB page as a shortstop, but fan graphs list him playing center field. And I think that's what, where he's going to end up because he talked about how they were really kind of pushing him in that direction last year and he was learning to love it. He also spent some time at second base last year. So there's talk that he might not actually be a starting lineup guy. He might be a utility guy. He's definitely got a lot of places where he can plug in. So we'll see. I'm hopeful for him. He is from Honduras and I kind of feel like I should have this if I've been to the country where the person was born, I should pick that boyfriend. So I've been to San Pedro Sula, Honduras, where he was born. And he is actually the second player in MLB who was born in Honduras. The first was Gerald Young, who was raised in California, as was um, Mauricio. But Mauricio came when he was 15 years old. I'm not sure if if young was here a longer period of time i couldn't figure that out but you know leave it to say there aren't a lot of honduran born mlb players i want to introduce a little bit of a word a, a handy word for honduran people which is catracho which is actually an endearing phrase so if you meet somebody from honduras you can call them catracho and it's it's well taken. So he's very, he has a lot of pride and there's a lot of articles about the Catracho on the team and him wearing his, his flag. He grew up playing baseball. So he talks about how he doesn't remember not playing baseball since he was like four years old. His dad played, his grandfather played, which again is not normal in Honduras, not, not usually done. And he was on a national team at age seven. In high school, he blew everybody away. 
He was doing so well. And at one point, a missionary group came down to, to visit and bring baseball equipment. So you see stuff like this all the time, you know, groups that bring baseball equipment to other countries. So they went down there and there was this guy who saw him and said, you need to get to the United States, that you are something special. And it came down to the, the family had to make a decision. This, this guy is basically offering to take him in, bring him back to California, live with his family and play baseball. And his mom said it was like the most difficult decision she ever made, but she let him go. I'm not quite sure how immigration dealt with this. I probably should have asked my hubby about that before recording, but somehow he got to live with this host family. He went to high school in California in, in Sacramento. He learned English fast because if you listen to his, his interviews now, his English is amazing. So you know, kudos to him for actually working really hard in high school while playing baseball. That was super apparent. And he was a Giants fan. So he talked about how he went, he was on the sidewalk when they won the World Series in 2012 and 14 and literally pictured himself on those cars and wanted to get there someday. So he was eventually drafted up by the Red Sox. Woohoo! And spent some time <laughs> in the minors there. So, you know, I always look for other you know, connections. So between being from Honduras and being on the Red Sox, I had to pick this guy. He was traded to the Brewers, you know, unfortunately for my fandom in December, 2016. And he played the futures game under while he was with the Brewers the next year. And he talks about how both of his families were in the stands. There were like 20 people there between his birth family and oh, his host family. Love it. Caring for him in the Futures game. He had his MLB debut in July 2019, and he was with the Brewers for two games before he got traded to the Giants, which is like a dream come true for him because this is the team that he followed growing up. He played just 28 games in 2019 for the Giants with a 279 average, but you know, 20 was his big breakout year. He played 54 of the games with 274, so he's a pretty solid guy. And he had some impressive defense as well. There was a, a good video that I'll I'll try to link if I I hope I remember to copy it of like the top five defensive outfield moves for the Giants of the year. And he was number one. And it's just this beautiful diving catch off of a hit by my boyfriend that I picked a couple of weeks ago from the Rockies, uh, Raimel Tapia. And it was that number one stat cast uh, catch. And he actually put in some extra training before 2020. There's, there's some video of him on a balcony. It's like I, a little bit nerve wracking built a batting cage out on the balcony of an apartment building to do <laughs> practice during the COVID quarantine time. Hopefully a lot of super strong netting. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Pottymouth was looking, he's like, there's glass windows right there. Yeah. I don't know. Somehow it worked out. He, there's a cute uh, interview of sort of the, his parents and the people around him and one of, I think it was his brother who said, Mauro's success is our nation's pride. So oh, he's a wow. big fucking deal in Honduras. And he wants to actually play for Honduras. Now their national team is usually sort of um, bought into like 
whoever's organizing it kind of chooses the people that they know and like, but he's really adamant that he wants it to be a real team for the Central American Games, which got postponed from 2021 to 2022. They're going to take place in El Salvador, another country not necessarily known for baseball, but there are some big like Nicaragua, Panama have really well-known leagues. So maybe he will make it there. He, um, he just got married this past November. He looks like a baby. I can't believe he got married. His wife is gorgeous, like drop dead gorgeous. Nancy Herrera. So best wishes to the lovely young couple. And then there's that baseball boyfriend giving back thing. He's told, he, he talks about how San Pedro Sula is poor. Like it's a very poor struggling area and he's doing all he can to grow the game in Honduras. So even when he was in the minors, so back in 2017, he was organizing games in San Pedro Sula each off season. And this is my favorite part. He bought Salvavida beer for everyone in the stands. I drank Salvavida beer once upon a time when I was traveling in Honduras. It's pretty good. Yeah. So that's that's kind of that's kind of an incentive. I would go to baseball if you're going to offer me free beer. He brings baseball equipment back with him every December. And recently there was a hurricane, Eta, that hit and he did a lot of relief work with them with bringing food to shelters and he kind of admit admitted that the government pretty much doesn't function, so he said the people save the people, and he's doing his job in saving the people. He has a GoFundMe on his Instagram page, so I'll try to find that one too. Most excellent. Sounds like a very yeah. good pick. Yeah, hey, did, nice I mention, did I mention that I actually had a theme this week? I can't remember if I said it out loud, that my theme is former Mets and actual crying in baseball. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, we had Jared who cried tears of joy upon his drafting and was drafted by the Mets. Um, and now I've got Wilmer Flores, who I can't, you know, he's another one of these guys I'm kind of surprised we haven't had as a boyfriend before. So Flores is 29 and, and like, like your guy on the Giants, he's listed with a position that he doesn't really play very much. Okay. <laughs> so he's listed as a second baseman and that didn't happen very much with the Giants. So he's from uh. Valencia, Venezuela. He has three brothers and two sisters. And out of the five men in the family, four of them are named Wilmer. <laughs> but he said only That's his funny. father gets to be called Wilmer. The rest of them go by nicknames. Right. And so his is, uh, is Katire, which basically uh. means blondie or light colored, because even though he has very dark hair now, when he was born, he had blonde hair. So he was the blondie in the family. And even though he is no longer, he is still a Katire. Hmm. So Wilmer, who may I just say is my second favorite Wilmer? You're gotcha. right. Wilmer Defoe, yeah. back to your number. You guys who were numbered one. Wilmer Defoe is number one. The Nance. Anyway, so Wilmer Flores, my number two favorite Wilmer, learned English by watching all 200 plus episodes of Friends. <laughs> That's great. And he um, often for a while used their theme song as his walk-up music, <laughs> which I think is just the, the goofiest, hilarious, most endearing walk-up music totally. you could possibly have. So he was signed by the Mets on his 16th birthday in 2007. His debut was in 2013 on his 22nd birthday. So he wow. celebrates birthdays very, very yeah. well. So let me tell you about the crying. This crying endeared him to Mets fans probably forever. So in July 29th, 2015, while there was a game going on, there was a rumor of him being traded to 
the Brewers for Carlos Gomez. He was not aware of this because he was playing a baseball game. But social media got a hold of this. And so all of a sudden, the fans, when he came up to bat, gave him a standing ovation. And when he left the field, gave him a standing ovation. He's like, what is happening here? This is during a game. Nobody Mm -hmm. in the dugout had any clue what was going on. Because this was happening, you know, at the front office level. His coaches and manager had no idea what was going on. So he sent, like, one of his teammates to go grab a phone and saw the rumors that he was being traded. Now, remember, he was signed by the Mets when he was 16, right? This is like the Mets are all he knew for years and years mm-hmm. and years, right? So he's on the field kind of in tears. Oh, wow. He said, he said I didn't even know I could be traded. So he was just heartbroken. Oh, he was just God. heartbroken. And these, you know, every time he came on and off the field, these standing ovations would happen. And in the meantime, like the Brewers, like the, the front office guys are watching this game, like on, a, on an airplane. And they're like, why is he still on the field? He's like our player now. Like why, I mean, like, why is all this happening this? This is, you know, and it turns out that the trade actually did fall through because Carlos Gomez didn't pass his physical. He had some hip oh, issue wow. that the Mets were not interested in. So, so Wimmer Flores got to remain a Met. And so two days later, he hit a walk-off home run against the Nationals. And as he rounded the bases, he was tugging on the front of his jersey where it says Mets. Like, I belong here. Uh, this is this is because this is my home. And he got standing ovations at every at-bat. So he was like endeared forever into Mets fandom for this. He um he sort of became a Mr. Walk-off for the Mets after that. He had a, a pinch hit walk-off home run in 2018 that broke David Wright's franchise record for walk-off um, runs batted in. That's a big deal for the Mets, a really big deal. Right, right. And so in 2019, he actually did go to the Diamondbacks for a year. And I think by then, you know, he had come to peace, <laughs> made peace with all of this. <laughs> right. Then it's okay again, because he was not a little kid anymore, right? In 2020, this past year, he signed a two-year, $6 million contract with the Giants with an option for a third year. And he was kind of, he was brought on as a good solid bat. He ended up lighting up the offense. He, the, the, the Giants in general had a really good offensive summer in the shortened season in 2020, but Wilmer Flores was a big part of it. He had 12 home runs. He led the Giants in home runs. He was second on the Giants with 32 runs batted in, and he was second with 30 runs. Initially, he the idea was he was going to pl- platoon with Brandon Belt at first base, but then Belt was actually doing pretty well too. So there was this this DH thing that was happening in the National League, and so he was often DHing or getting plugged in wherever they needed somebody in the infield. So second base did happen a couple of times, but it wasn't his like regular thing. So some of the boyfriend things about him, if weeping on the field because you didn't want to leave the place that is your home is not enough for you. In 2017, while he was still a Met, he won the Thurman Munson Award, which we've talked about before, which is which celebrates uh, New York City athletes for their actions on and off the field. He had done a lot of work with the Ronald McDonald House Charities, with the Mets Foundation. And this one wasn't specific, but it said he gives a lot of his time and money teaching English to children from Latin American countries. Wow. So I don't know how that happens or where that happens. But I like the idea that it does happen. And he also sponsors baseball clinics for a special Olympics. 
So I'm really excited about Wilmer Flores. I can't believe with stories like learning English with friends and crying on the field because you didn't want to get <laughs> traded, why he was not a boyfriend before. But he's a boyfriend now, and I'm looking forward to Wilmer Flores and the Giants. Next week is going to be interesting. Next week, we're going to have boyfriends from the Astros and from the Brewers. And if picking guys in the Astros isn't going to be interesting enough, I have to choose whether I keep Christian Yelich as my second once and forever boyfriend or if I if I cast him aside. I don't know yet what I'm going to do. Talk about cliffhangers. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, hang on. I've got a cliffhanger that you all do not have, and that is... <laughs> The Dominican series, this whole timey-wimey thing. So again, we're recording this Sunday night. You're hearing this Tuesday at best. And tonight was game six of Lidam. So this is super exciting. So the Aguilas Ibeñas are playing against the Gigantes de Cibao in the finals of Lidam. And the Aguilas were down two to one the other day. And so it was whatever game I, so let me do the math, game four. And I had been rooting for the Aguilas and all of a sudden I'm rooting for the Gigantes and Mr. Potty Mouth is like, what's going on? And I said, <laughs> I want, I want the Aguilas to win it all after coming back from being down three to one, because that's what the Uni Lions did in CPBL. And just the three to one club is just an exciting thing. So sure enough, they went down three to one. Sure enough, they came back and went three to two. And tonight it was a very exciting game. It's tied up. So game seven, baby, is for me tomorrow night. But for you all, it's over. So I'm really hoping that my prediction holds through and that the Aguilas have uh, have done it by now. There are so many like endearing people on there that I'm going to probably be revisiting jo Johan Camargo very soon. But also yesterday's game, game five, was started by Carlos Martinez, who was I had chosen the St. Louis pitchers last year, maybe as my pitching squad and he was on it and I, I was really you know intrigued by him as the tsunami so he comes on and I'm just thinking we've got this game tsunami's on the mound first three fucking batters man first batter walk second batter home run third batter home run so they're down three to nothing with no outs in the top of the first and I was just like shit and then he locked in and no more runs were let up for the rest of the game We've had relief pitchers. We've had starting pitchers like that for sure. Like they just take a little while to kick in, and it's matter how bad is it going to get before they lock it in? Totally, totally. So, you know, so scary. It was that moment, and you know, the coach came out after that third batter, and I'm thinking, oh my god, Carlos Martinez. Well, he came back, so I don't, I don't know who's on the mound for tomorrow, but I saved one Presidente beer for game seven. So <laughs> I am going to be happily drinking that beer tomorrow night. I was trying to watch the, the Roberto Clemente, the Puerto Rican league, but you do have to really pay money for a good feed. The closest thing I find, found was an audio feed, audio feed today on, um, on Facebook, but they're, they're playing again. So that's the big news. So the past couple of weeks we've been saying they've been suspended because of COVID. They got the green light. Both teams are totally healthy. And more than that, the Ateniesis pulled a last minute grab a player and Yadier Molina started with them today as DH. Now it's not totally out of the blue because his brother, Jose Molina, is the manager of the team. It's so always who you know for God's I sake. I think there was kind of like, all right, 
were coming back after COVID. They were down. The Indios de Mayagüez, the team they're playing against, had won the first game. They're trying to pull this in. So they bring in Yachty. And Yachty was DH. And so he can't be really blamed for this. They lost 30-8 to today. 30-3-0-8. Yeah. So not Yachty's fault because he was not on defense. He was DH. No mercy rule, I'm guessing. Maybe, maybe next time they should start Yachty as catcher. I'm just going to throw that, throw that out there. That seems like a wise decision. Hey, before you leave um, the Puerto Rican League, did you read the piece in The Athletic about the Roberto Alomar, the RA12, the origin story about the RA12? No, I did not. So if you remember, we were a sort of like we found it endearing that Roberto Alomar had this this team of all rookies. Mm-hmm. And we also thought it was like, OK, yeah, but you're not going to win. And so why, you know, why are you doing this? But it's, it's kind of, you know, interesting. It's quirky. It turns out it was very intentional. Um, he he and his dad, that would be Sandy Alomar Sr., um, noticed that in the leagues, the, the winter leagues in Puerto Rico, they were largely like AAA level or like rookie level guys playing. Like the young guys weren't playing anymore and the veterans weren't playing. And it used to be when Roberto Alomar was coming up, he was there as a 17-year-old. And Felipe Alou said, hey, you need to get on this team so these veterans can mentor you. And mm-hmm. so that older, younger thing wasn't happening to help develop these young guys. So he and his dad said, we need a team. We need to recruit. We need to provide a vehicle for these guys that aren't quite there yet to get experience and to get some of that right. mentorship happening. So it was very intentional. Um, I'm going to link to the story because it's a good read. Um, and apparently they've been doing a lot of outreach around Puerto Rico to bring in more young people and get the, give them the opportunities to play. So, um, you know, Roberto Alomar, the Alomar family is near and dear to my heart as a Cleveland girl. And so I was happy to read more details about, about this, this league and this particular team. That's that's encouraging. And hopefully next year, I mean, they had only four teams playing this year because of COVID. So hopefully when they have all their teams going, it won't be quite they won't be slammed quite so hard. And, you know, after having a year under their belt as well. There's also baseball going on in Venezuela. You can watch it free on baseball play. It's weird, though, because they have people in the stands because it's Venezuela and they're denying COVID. So there's that. I I am excited that the team that I've been supporting for the past couple of years, the Cardinales de Lara, are ahead. But again, you guys are timey-wimey and ahead of us. That might not be true right now. I think they're right now that they're up two games to one against the Tigres de Aragua. And the Tigres got a recent blow because one of their players, Jose Martinez, just got uh, pulled in by the Mets and decided that he shouldn't be down there anymore and so pulled him all the way up. So they lost a key player. They The Cardinales in the last game that I saw, I think it was game three, they were going into the ninth inning down by two and they got 11 runs in the top of the ninth. <laughs> that, which uh, The shocking thing about that is it only tied a franchise record as the most runs in an inning in a playoff game, which seems bizarre to me. But they won the game, so they're they're in good shape. And you know, another connection for the Cardinales for me is Idelmaro Mar- Idel Vargas was my um, D-backs boyfriend last year, I think last year, and he's been playing as well as two folks from the Red Sox system, Gorky Hernandez, who was a Red Sox, not anymore. I think he was released, and Cesar Pueyo, though, who's still on the Red Sox roster. So I am 
fully pulling for the Cardinales. On the other side of the semifinals are the Caribes de Anzuategui, and they're playing against the Navegantes de Mag Magallanes. And your guy, Williams Astudio, is playing now. So if anyone wants to catch La Tortuga in action, turn, turn, tune into the Caribes. And the other name that I recognized on there that was a little bit of a flashback was Jesus Sucre. And I was like, oh, Sugar Jesus. Wait, we talked about Sugar Jesus. And I looked back and it was because we were complaining about CeCe Sabathia drilling Jesus and in that famous, like almost ruined his bonus by being suspended for the rest of the year. But then he got the money after all. But that, that was the target of the drill. You want to watch him play. He's in Venezuela right now. <laughs> and, that's, <laughs> and that's the potty mouth version of international baseball for the week. I love it. I love it. Um, we talked a little bit about the National Women's Hockey League last week or the week before. I can't even remember now because they were, they were announcing their bubble season in Lake Placid. And we have a few more details now. So the exciting thing for these women is they are playing these games at Herb Brooks Arena. And you may remember that name because it's a freaking miracle on ice rink. Oh, um, I've been there. Cool. I almost wept. Oh, my God. More crying. More crying today for me. Crying in hockey. Uh, <laughs> But so there, there are six teams in the National Women's Hockey League, and they are playing a super short season. They're playing it all in Lake Placid at the Herb Brooks Arena. Um, they're playing from January 23rd to February 3rd for a regular season, including sort of a round robin situation. And those games are going to be televised on Twitch TV. And then their, their playoffs and finals, which don't take long because there are only six teams, will be the, uh, so the Isabel Cup. You, do you know why the Isabel Cup is called the Isabel Cup? The championship cup? I know you told me this before, but I'm blanking it. So the Stanley Cup is named for Lord Stanley. Lord Stanley had a daughter named Isabel. So the oh, women's championship cool. is the Isabel Cup. That's going to be, as Patty Ma told us, um, broadcast on, on NBCSN. So if you um, have cable or access to NBC networks, you'll be able to watch the playoff games and the finals of the Isabel Club, Cup on uh February 4th through 5th. Don't worry. It's over before the Super Bowl. That's not for a few more days after that. <laughs> cool. I will definitely tune in. Boston Pride. I'm all up for the Pride. Riveters. Riveters. Yeah. Riveters. Right. Riveters. We'll hey, so um, this week um, I'm hunkering in the bunker. As we do, I'm way into hockey right now. I, you know, I watch all those hockey games. I'm going to watch some more of those. I also, um, at the recommendation of uh, multiple friends, uh, this is the circle I run in. They recommended a podcast, which is not at all sports related. It's called Wind of Change. Have you heard about this podcast? It was from yeah, last summer. It all. basically um, it, it investigates the rumor that the Scorpions song, Wind of Change, was actually written by the CIA. Okay. It is so fascinating and it's so much fun to listen to all of this stuff about the CIA, especially when the world is so weird here right now. And so when it's not, I'm not like up to my eyeballs in sports, I'm up to my eyeballs in, in CIA um, wacky urban legends and it's making me very happy. So if um, I put that out there for something you need to, you can do if you don't want to watch winter ball and you don't want to watch the uh, lead up to the inauguration. We hope you actually do watch the inauguration itself from the safety of your home. Mm. Here's some thoughts, but feel free to listen to some past episodes of No Crying in Baseball and tell your friends if you think they might like to hear us talk about baseball. You should please find us on social media. Hang out with us on Twitter, NCIB Podcast. Facebook and Instagram are No Crying in B-Ball. All right, everybody, stay inside, stay safe, wear your masks, wash your hands. 
fight the man, hunker in the bunker. And until next time, say goodnight, potty mouth. Goodnight, potty mouth. Okay, you good? I think so. All right, go team.